speaking of patience, patience is the highest austerity, it is said. Not shaving one's head, not fasting, not doing strange postures for long periods of time, (coughs) but just being patient is the highest austerity. And being patient in the sense of practicing with conditions means that what we don't like, we have a hard time being with. I remember on a previous trip to Toronto, I went for a dana to the home of a Sri Lankan family and there was a little boy there. I don't remember his name. He was about seven. And some of his classmates, his mother had invited me, were there as well. And so I did a little thing for the kids about patience. And I remember asking him, what does patience mean? And he said, when you don't get what you want. (laughs) So astute. He was just a little boy. That tells the whole story of our life and practice. With the mind, of course, you see from just sitting here tonight, we want the mind to stay on the breath and it keeps wandering into other areas, objects, past, future, thinking, remembering, wanting, planning, all kinds of feelings and memories coming up and trying to get back to the object and stay put and be patient with the conditions as they arise. Be patient with the train that passes and not get disturbed, not be disturbed by those wandering thoughts. And then we get disturbed. So what do we do when we're getting disturbed with conditions? We can bring up this quality of patience just to be able to know them as they are and accept them. Know them as they are and accept them again and again and again. So when we don't get what we want, we have to bring up, bring up that ability to be with what is not liked and not to give vent to the wanting mind. That's very, very difficult to do continuously. And the the next train will also come. And even if we were to change all the conditions that we're experiencing for another set of conditions, eventually we would get impatient with those as well. Something would always crop up to disturb us. We think that it's by arranging the conditions that we can be free of disturbance a different set of thoughts, or maybe a different train. But that's not how it works, is it? 
nowadays I notice that when I was a child in my class, well, I don't remember one family even where there was a divorce. You just had parents and that was it. <laughs> but now the divorce rate is so high. I think it's somehow an indicator of the level of impatience in our culture. As soon as something goes wrong, just change the conditions, change the spouse, find a better one. And then, of course, you find another one and the same thing happens. <laughs> you don't like something because they're, not, they're never going to be perfect. Well, what's happened to our world? Why are we like this? I think the quality of patience has been put on the back burner and we need to bring it forward again and give, give more value to developing patience, to developing the ability to endure and persevere with things as they are. Why? Because by studying how we are with what we don't want, there's a lot to learn. And this really speaks to the essence of the practice, which is to learn about ourselves from whatever's happening. To take the things that are given to us in life as a teaching and to work with those conditions so that by becoming a student of the present moment, we end up opening ourselves to conditions and we end up being the patient, like a patient in a hospital. Why is a patient in a hospital called a patient anyway? <laughs> because you don't want to be there, number one. Number two, you don't want the medicine. You don't want the illness either. And you have to be patient with all of it. And with the, the doctors, and with the nurses, and with the other people that are groaning and moaning and complaining, who are also trying to be patients. In the monastic life, one of the great exhortations to fulfill the monastic life well, to be a so-called good monk or a good nun, is we're encouraged to be easy to take care of. Easy to take care of. So that the first thing that comes to mind when I review that, when I hear that, is not to complain. And of course, because I live dependent on the gifts of others, I can't go shopping, I can't buy food, I can't choose what I eat or what I wear. It's all given. It's all set up for me. Not according to my preferences, but according to this going forth training picking up this training and making a commitment to train myself like this whether I like it or not. It's a bit like a marriage. <laughs> Until death do us part. <laughs> Truly. But then somebody may bring something, put it in my bowl, and that's lunch. You like it, you don't like it, this is what you're getting. The exhortation is 
don't complain. Well, you can't complain. What are you going to say when somebody comes to you with their wonderful smile on their face, happy to bring you food, lovely cooked food. They've traveled a long way to bring it and gone to great trouble at that and taken time out of their busy day. And why should they come and feed you anyway? What are they going to get out of it? Um, that's another whole topic about the joy of offering, the joy of giving. And then you receive this beautiful offering and you look into your bowl, like the story of when I was standing on the street in the winter in New Zealand on my alms round trying to practice not eating meat. But of course I can't ask people. I can't say, no, I don't eat meat. But just standing with my bowl, people could put whatever they want. If I received meat, I wouldn't eat it. I just left it in the bowl. And on this particular day, it was wintry. I'd been standing there on the sidewalk, and I was shivering. A long time had expired. And in a Western culture, people don't know what you're doing. They think you're from the Salvation Army. (laughs) (laughs) So they tried to give money, which I couldn't accept. I realized it was getting late and maybe I would receive nothing. So I tried to meditate, you know, this exhortation, don't complain, be patient. Not, why isn't anybody feeding me? But can I just accept the conditions as they are? Because the complaining mind is pure suffering. What's the point? I thought, if I don't get anything, then I'll use the empty bowl as a contemplation. It just so happened, as soon as that thought arose in my mind, a man emerged from the shop that I was standing in front of. I stood in front of a bakery. (laughs) You have to try to increase the chances. (laughs) It is a bit of a gamble in the West. And this Cambodian man came out of the shop and he put a meat pie into my bowl. And then he knelt on the cold sidewalk and bowed. I was so touched by this gesture. I didn't know what was in the bowl. It didn't matter. I was just so touched and I offered a blessing. And then he got up and left. I had very little time. So I went to a nearby cemetery. And I sat in the cemetery and pulled out this meat pie. And I saw meat. So I thought, well, I'm not going to eat this. But this was going to be my lunch, so I just nibbled the crust. And I felt so much gratitude for that little bit of crust. One can come to that sense of gratitude by not giving in to the complaining mind. It would have been so easy to just start whining and worrying or feeling upset that why did this happen or suffer with it but it was really a beautiful thing and then there were lots of birds so and a few squirrels too they had the benefit of the meat (laughs) and everybody was happy (laughs) sometimes patience can feast on a few crumbs 
We don't have to give the mind a lot to encourage patience to come and take over the worry, the unhappiness, the discontent, or the complaint that is just in the waiting room, ready to jump in and take over the mind. That's why being mindful, so careful, so attentive to where the mind is abiding is a great support for staying in the present moment and not giving in to the kilesa, to the bad habits, the poor habits, and can encourage the mind to feel patient with conditions that are unpleasant. When we're discontented, we're not peaceful. It's so easy to feel discontented with the present moment. Even being bored is already, we're not patient because, well, what what else am I going to do? What else am I going to get? It's the ego taking over. And that happens in relationships. And we're ready to blame the person not to take responsibility for our mind state. Sitting here tonight and trying to be attentive to the object, to the present moment, is a wonderful example of how we can take this practice into everyday life. Whatever conditions we're experiencing, it's up to us to notice when discontent arises and immediately plant a seed. It's not going to happen by itself, is it? Eventually, a little bit of discontent will grow into a problem. (laughs) (laughs) The train is not a problem. It's only our relationship to it. The train is a total reminder of how, out of whatever is arising, we create either, it's wonderful, or why do we have to sit in a room where there's a train? We can be grateful that we can come together in this space and listen to the train. And notice, the train is just like the thoughts in the mind, ready to take us into the complaining mode. But really, we have the ability to change gears. And we don't need perfect silence or a perfect relationship or perfect conditions to do so. We only need awareness. We need to be aware, awake, and present, and remember to put your hand on the stick and change the gear. Just like when you learn how to drive a car, you have to know when to go forward, when to go back, and when to stop. This teaching was given to us because the Buddha realized that there are people who have little dust in their eyes. If we allow the dust to settle and gather within us, then we're not going to get it. We're just not going to get it. We might get it for five minutes, then we go back into our daily lives and we carry on 
with all our old habits, doing the same thing over and over again, then we think there's something wrong with this practice because it doesn't work. It only works if we rub the dust out of our eyes and wake up to what we're doing. We're not using the gears properly. We're not practicing patience. We're not aware of how we're living. We're not using this eightfold path properly. We're not understanding how the Four Noble Truths operate. We think that there's only suffering and the origin of suffering. Yeah, there is suffering and there is the origin of suffering, but it's not outside of us. It's always to be found beginning within us. And as soon as we understand that, then we know that there is also the possibility for that suffering to come to an end. And the way to end it is to practice, to be awake, aware, to make effort, to live skillfully,